Hello everyone and welcome back to the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. Coming up on today's episode, Edie breaks the plastics habit to see how businesses and communities are ditching single-use plastics with surfers against sewage. This is the, the gateway issue for people to understand their impacts on, on planet Earth or planet ocean as I should probably call it. You know, this is you know, this is um, something that's brought environmentalism to life to um, to everyone, to households around, you know, around the country and around the world. We discuss how the Blue Planet 2 effect is driving retailer actions for Waitrose. I think we always anticipated that consumers would um, increasingly care about these issues. I don't think we probably anticipated the speed with which that would happen. Um, and everybody's you know, talked at length about the Blue Planet effect, but we really did see this incredible surge in, in customer opinion around it. Um, and we had um, reviewed, for example, some of the, the customer queries that, that we get through on a kind of regular basis, and those increased around plastics and packaging by 800% last year. And we find out whether the resources and waste strategy is fit for purpose with the co-op. What we need is an approach where the high street doesn't have every little shop with a deposit return machine or having to return the the packaging back to the shop. We need a a community approach where uh, transport hubs or uh, high streets or small villages and towns have a communal or one or two communal deposit return machines that serve the community. Um, that, that way we keep the prices down and we, we keep the high street invigorated. Yes, yeah, so hello and uh, welcome back to the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. It has been an absolutely manic week. Um, we're reporting, so this episode's going out on Friday, so we are we're currently recording this on Thursday afternoon. Lovely dreary view outside a tree with no leaves on kind of just industrial buildings so you know nice and energetic is the mood i'm getting from the room right now mm. um no luke today as i'm sure you'll tell by my voice um but instead uh i'm edie's content editor matt mace and i am with the the ever faithfuls of the podcast group um inside of george ogilby how are you doing yeah not too bad matt it's good to be here uh, yeah <laughs> looking quite bleak outside, isn't it? I think I saw the first sign of sleet outside my window this morning. It's looking mm. quite ominous. But, uh, we'll, we'll soldier on, despite the uh, yeah. bad conditions. I remember, I remember how the beast of the East just shut the country down last year, so I'll, I'm expecting similar. Mm. Um, and to hopefully brighten up our day a little bit more is our reporter, Sarah George. How are you? I'm good, and that's no pressure to be the ray of sunshine on the podcast. Um, but after several coffees and after going to an Aldersgate group panel this morning, which I'll be writing about later, I am feeling quite optimistic today. Good to hear. That's exactly what we want. So um, that's not that's the wrong script. That's that's from the uh, that's from the webinar that I've just come from, which is on single use plastics actually. So mm. I can actually keep going with this. So this this episode is all about single use plastics. It is part of a. Um, week of action around that area um, which is being driven by Edie so this week we've been extremely busy I'm sure you can tell just by looking at the site there's a lot of plastic related content we um, we've launched a few exciting things um, the Mission Possible Plastics Hub is now officially live it's been kind of chugging along in the background probably since kind of early December hasn't it mm. um, we've all been reaching out to 
to businesses to essentially pledge their plastic commitments to this um, virtual wall. Uh, more than 30 now have, have actually made those commitments public um, for us from the wall, likes of Sky and Unilever. So well done team on uh, on getting out to them and getting those um, getting those pledges up and to really drive ambition and understanding around the hub and it's, it's, we've launched a, a week of action. Um, so we've kind of filled the site with exclusive interviews with real kind of thought leaders in this area um, and a lot of um, features and insight as to how businesses can really turn ambition into action around seeing these plastics. 2018 and some even before that, even before Blue Planet 2 aired in late 2017, made a load of pledges around this issue. They were really aware that it was becoming a real kind of CSR hot point. Um, and then since then, it's quite easy just to set a commitment and just kind of like sit back, relax, rest in the laurels a little bit. It's a bit like a news resolution, isn't it, really, yeah. isn't it? Of a, apart from they're publicly available, so they can't just give up in February. Um, so that's the point of the hub. It's to, to really kind of motivate and drive action uh, in this area. And we've had a whole week from it. As I mentioned, I've just come from a plastics webinar, one of our most viewed webinars, certainly of the last um, year or so which is good. Um, Sarah, you've been very busy populating the site with exclusive interviews. Um, who who did you interview and what were your key takeaways from it? Um, yeah, sure. So the one that went up yesterday, and I'm particularly proud of this one because I managed to catch him in between all the Brexit chat that's been going on this week, is with Lord Deben, um, who was talking about how he thinks the conversation will evolve in 2019. So in addition to sitting on the Committee of Climate Change and in the House of Lords, he also runs Sandcroft, the sustainability consultancy, which means that he has this real bird's eye view of business trends in this area. Um, and a key takeaway from that is that, according to him, the conversation is really likely to go beyond packaging this year. So to date, we've seen a lot of focus on items like straws, crisp packets and other packaging, which probably is the most visible um, part of the part of the problem um, but Lord Deben was talking about microfibers and microplastics and how they fit into this and also some industrial uses of plastic um, which you may never see on your breakfast table like with supermarket packaging but are still a massive contributor to this issue um, and then my other interview was with Sian Sutherland who is co-founder of Action Group um, A Plastic Planet and um, hearteningly she was saying a lot of the same things that the conversation would get broader this year. Um, specifically, she's tipping it to move past recycling and more towards the avoidance of plastic in the first instance. The Yeah, the microfiber stuff's really interesting. Um, mm. To hear someone like Lord Deedon speak about it throws a lot of weight behind it. But I just, weird thing about that, you think about microfibers and microplastic and how that was such an issue in like, what, 2016? Mm. All the retailers mm. kind of put the ban, ban on microbeads. Micro yeah, yeah, and it's, it's weird that that conversation didn't really stimulate uh, didn't really stimulate much around this issue and it kind of just okay yeah um, you know the EU and UK will ban it etc serve all the retailers and then it took it took something like blue planet to really um, evolve that debate into a wider plastics one mm. and now we're going to then going back down to these microplastics and microfibers again it's quite mm. an interesting just 
how the conversation shifted throughout the years. Probably around the visual aspect, I suppose, mm. microplastics, you can't really see it, it's not tangible. Yeah, very true. Plastic packaging, you can see it, you know, Blue Planet series, we saw, we saw like stuff wrapped around turtles' necks and you're thinking this is terrible. And then, so that's really brought on galvanises consumer action, which has now led the, you know, the rise in action in microplastics, I think, anyway. Great stuff. I also realised we said um, Blue Planet four times now in <laughs> seven minutes. So I'm keeping a little tally. Our task for the rest of this podcast is to not say that, that phrase again, um, just because it's, it's, it's just everyone knows now that it's driven by that. So that's our task, apart from in the interviews, because I, I mentioned that quite heavily um, with my interview that's coming up later, but that's fine. Um, and yeah, always good to hear from um, Sean as well, such a kind of vocal um, advocate for this area on like mainstream media, BBC News, etc., and she was on our webinar earlier, which is a, a nice little plug. So um, once this, once you've finished listening to this, do go check out that webinar. It's available on demand on the ED website. George, what's your involvement been in this uh, in this week? You've been doing a lot of behind-the-scenes admin, making sure the pledges are uploaded, but um, there's also been a lot of just external news coming in as well. Yeah, so I mean, 2018 um, was a huge year for plastics. Um, we saw a lot of work on corporate action, um, you know, we've got calls for policy action as well, and 2019 has been no different. I mean, in this week alone, there's been a whole array of different stories. Um, so I, th- I think a couple of interesting ones from um, the corporate sphere. We've seen M&S trialling um, like the removal of plastic packaging uh, from dozens of plastic-free fruit and vegetable lines. A similar um, pledge has been made by Nestle. I think they're looking to... Um, produce their first plastic-free packaging lines by the end of 2019. So it's really fascinating to see this action finally come into place almost a year after, you know, the Wraps uh, Plastics Pact. Uh, the innovations are finally coming to market and companies are starting to take that action. Because, I mean, it, it does need to happen. I was I was walking through Sainsbury's today and you walk down the fruit and vegetable li- lines and there's so much plastic going on. You think, how are companies going to be able to start this in a couple of years but I mean these sort of stories do give you hope that it is possible so we've got that sort of stuff going on we've also got um, the Lord Deven story which Sarah touched upon um, we've also had a new alliance formed the alliance to end plastic waste um, so you've got the likes of P&G, Veolia, ExxonMobil um, so a, a wide range of businesses um, and what's really encouraging is that this is I would say it's probably one of the first um, you know, collaborative partnerships that I've seen uh, that brings together the whole value chain uh, of the plastics mm. industry. So that's quite encouraging to see because we know that not one single business is going to solve this issue by themselves. Um, we've also had um, the Environmental uh, Audit Committee, um, uh, like the government's green watchdog, calling for a, a new... Um, if you like, a, a Paris Agreement for, for the Oceans, okay. which I think is, is, is an interesting thought, uh, like galvanising action among different governments rather than, you know, siloed um, action. I think that could possibly take off and it could be one of the trends to watch in 2019. Yeah, it's a really good point. Like you, you see all the, all, the visuals of, all the visuals of plastics in the ocean and there's no, uh, there's a collective responsibility mm. amongst just consumers and people that watch that and they feel inherently guilty about it but there's no yeah there's no overseeing of that like whose responsibility is it to take it out um whereas any kind of 
waste that ends up in the countryside in a county you know that that's a that's a county collection issue straight away mm. even if it all what's when she was littering so yeah waste that inevitably was probably spilt on land ended up in the ocean so yeah a paris in the oceans would be a really mm. really nice uh nice story to to build upon there and mm. i also like the name alliance to end plastic waste alliance is such a good name mm. better than consortium i think yeah Which reminds me of like lord of the rings when rohan peers <laughs> over the top just a strong strong word to really kind of battle plastics um okay well yeah a lot going on this week not just from us but externally as well so it's nice to know that even um amongst all the brexit for all we've we've kind of picked the right week to to launch this hub um, and in fact, 20, early 2019 in general has probably been a, a good time for it. Um, Sarah, I know you were, you went down to one of the companies that um, has really been championing this move away from plastics and Canary Wharf Group last week. And mm-hmm. I think that's where we're taking our first interview of the day too. Yeah. Um, so just to start off for anyone that's not aware, Canary Wharf Group has made this pledge to become the world's first um, plastic free micro city. So the world's plastic-free um, commercial estate. Um, that doesn't mean there won't be any plastic at all. It just means that there won't be any what has been called misused plastic. So in food packaging or as single-use items. Um, so earlier this month, the group posted an update on their progress um, towards that aim, hosted at their, at their site in London. Always nice to go to great views from the top there not so much if you're afraid of heights um but no really nice to go along and to track progress towards that so since launching that ambition they've taken actions like um removing several single use items from their own operations um and spurring all the re- uh, 82 of the retailers on that site to do the same um and they've also gone for the refill and reuse stage as well so they've installed seven new water refill stations across the estate which have been used 35,000 times okay to date so that's 35,000 less plastic bottles potentially um in their output and the event as well as charting progress was also a launch of this app that encourages behavior change to drive further reductions it basically it's a smartphone app that lets you scan your coffee cup or your water bottle, and then it tells you where to take it to recycle it. Um, and once you've taken it there, you scan the code on the bin and get given a digital digital point, like a digital coin, which mm. you can then spend on things like plastic-free, reusable tote bag, reusable coffee cup, refillable bottle, and other sustainability um, bits and bobs, really. Okay, so it gamified yeah. it, which is good to see. Mm. Okay, and so while you were there, you grabbed um, a chat with one of the... They, was, was he a panel speaker? I'm, I'm yes, he sure. was. So um, I grabbed Hugo Tagholm, who's the CEO of Surfers Against Sewage, which is this NGO that does what it says on the tin, really. <laughs> um, it's, it's against plastic pollution in, in the oceans. Um, and they've been working with Canary Wolf Group on towards achieving this aim because they run this initiative called the Plastic Free Community Initiative, um, which helps areas to become certified as plastic free. So we were having a bit of a chat about what exactly that means, um, the support it's garnered so far, and why it's important to bring businesses into this as well as local authorities representing towns, villages and cities. Brilliant. Sounds uh, really interesting. So let's, let's crack on right a bit. Here is that uh, interview with Hugo Tagholm from Service Against Sewage in full. Yeah, so for this part of the podcast, I am on level 39 of the massive One Canada Square building, which is 50 stories tall. So thank God I'm not on the top one, or I'd be even more height sick than I am right now. 
and I'm joined today by Hugo Tagholm, who's the CEO of Surface Against Sewage, an environmental charity um, lobbying for plastic-free oceans. Um, they're here today because they are helping Canary Wharf Group with its overarching plastic reduction aim of becoming the world's first plastic-free commercial centre. Um, but as Hugo mentioned, it's one of many communities striving to meet this goal. So thank you for joining me this morning. Uh, yeah. Could you tell us a bit more about this um, Plastic Free Communities initiative? Um, well, uh, Sarah, I'm delighted to, to be here this morning. Thank you very much for, uh, for, for inviting me to talk to you. Um, yeah, the Plastic Free Communities initiative um, is, a, is a nationwide uh, initiative um, helping people uh, uh, eliminate single-use avoidable plastics from, from their world, um, from the places they live, from the places they work, um, from the places they love. Um, we, uh, we set up this scheme, a five-step program. We were inspired by um, the Fair Trade Town movement. Um, and we wanted to bring um, people together in the same way on, on plastics. Lots of people, including ourselves, were doing individual campaigns about individual items, bottles or straws or bags, whatever it may be. So we wanted to bring people together um, to tackle single-use plastics um, as a whole. Um, so we invented this five-step plan, bringing together businesses, bringing together local government, bringing together schools and community groups, bringing together other charities and outside events to work together to reduce their single-use plastic footprint. Um, and Canary Wharf are aiming for this status with us. We've got over 400 communities working around the country on this status. They represent about 35 million people, uh, thousands of businesses um, already taking part. And, um, and Canary Wharf are the first business district in the world to be trying to get this status. So really exciting part because we've got really influential people in this building, really influential businesses, people that can really help us create the change the positive change we need for the future. And I know that some of the other communities taking part are maybe smaller coastal towns. You mentioned Penzance was the first place to um, to get the certification. But what's the importance of having somewhere in London away from the ocean and having somewhere that is a business hub rather than a town or local authority involved? You know, absolutely. Uh, we, we represent anyone and everyone who, who wants to take action to protect our oceans um, from the beachfront right up to the front benches of parliament so london is is the hub of the hub of the country uh, no one can deny that this is where big decisions are made about our economy about the products we use about the lives we lead and so it's really important that we influence hearts and minds in our cities in our towns in our villages not just on our coastline so we're a truly national organization we represent hundreds of thousands of people and working with such an established and reputable um, uh, organisation, a mini micro city as they call it, as Canary Wharf, where so much innovation happens, is, is really important to creating the movement we need to see to create that change. Because obviously there's not only residents here, the stakeholders, as was mentioned in the panel earlier, are numerous, it's anyone that even visits here for work, so that's potentially so many people that you could influence through this campaign. Yeah, hundreds of thousands of people are visiting Canary Wharf on a on a daily basis. Um, we've got you know business leaders here. We've got of course the banking industry um, here. You know this is um, this is where we can really uh, start to innovate and pilot some potential solutions. Um, we know that we're all looking um, together, whether we're individuals or businesses or government, to reduce our plastic consumption and plastic footprint. 
different and what you know what better place to pilot some of those initiatives and then I just wanted to ask exactly what what would plastic free mean and what are a bit more about these five steps because obviously it's not about um, removing all instances of plastic it's just um, not at all yeah it's um, it's really about focusing on on eliminating a certain number of single-use plastics within our within our lives within our businesses within our schools within the places we work um, within our local environment so of course as part of it we always have the, the pickup we still need to take plastic out of the environment but more importantly we need to stop it at source so we're getting small businesses and big businesses to eliminate um, straws, stirrers, bottles, bags, all sorts of things that we can find replacements for or eliminate outright. To achieve the accreditation you have to do a certain number of steps. Probably the most important are signing up local businesses, so depending on the size of your community, whether it's 5,000 or 50,000 people, there'll be a number, a target number of businesses you need to sign up to commit to getting rid of some plastics. Um, you need to sign up your local council. You need to build a steering committee to, um, to, to, to progress plastic-free um, initiatives in your local area on an incremental basis. So the five-step plan sets out the framework that you need to achieve, where you need to get rid of plastics, who you need to bring together. And it really forms the foundations of the building. After that, I've seen communities innovate in all sorts of ways to bring in um, new ways and new ideas to eliminate plastics. I was just in Jersey recently awarding them their plastic free Jersey status and it was amazing to see the number of businesses, the amount of passion, the commitment that they really had to getting rid of plastics on the island. And then I think I'd just like to round up the segment with a bit of a broader question which is that although this plastics issue has risen in, um, risen in public attention massively over the past um, few years and that has been a great thing for resource efficiency. Um, there persists the argument that it might be detracting from other issues but you mentioned during your panel that it can act as a gateway issue um, and engage wider sustainability conversations. Could you tell us a bit more about, about yeah, that and uh, the next steps? I think absolutely this is the, the gateway issue for people to understand their impact on, on planet Earth or planet Ocean as I should probably call it. You know, this is you know, this is um, something that's brought environmentalism to life to um, to everyone, to households around you know around the country and around the world. Um, you know, the brand profile you see on most high streets today is the same as the brand profile we find on many beaches, um, on many riverbanks, on many um, you know parklands that we have, um, and people are starting to think about um, about what they're consuming every day, the impacts of that, where it comes from, you know, how far that product has travelled, um, the energy it's taken to create that product, the carbon emissions associated with that product. So we're starting to develop the conversations. It's a journey of environmentalism from people deciding they want to refuse a straw or take their reusable coffee cup with them to starting to think about should they change how they're travelling, should they change what they're eating, should they change their buying habits. And those things are the silver lining to the plastic pollution crisis. In a way, this crisis is starting to get people to stop and think about the finite nature of planet Earth. Well, there you have it, a positive spin on what is a planetary crisis. Well, thank you very much for joining me this morning, Hugo. No problem, thank you for and having I me. I will let you crack on. Great, thank Take you. care. There you go, then. some really insightful stuff um, from Hugo as to how communities and businesses alike can really champion this cause. Um, Hugo's another one of those people similar to Sean in the kind of quite a public figure um, on this issue, appears on uh, TV, like new, news broadcasts quite a bit, and also in um, parliamentary sessions. I think he's 
who was listed as one of the speakers there. So clearly a wealth of knowledge, as was evident in that conversation. So that's it for part one. Um, and we'll be back after a very, very short break um, to move on to our next interview, which is one of the leading retailers in the fight against plastics, and also to discuss um, how us personally, how we've all evolved since plastics became a mainstream issue. So, hello and welcome back to part two. Coming up, we do have that interview with one of the leading retailers in the fight against plastics. But before that, um, I thought it would be a good chance to have a bit of personal reflection. That's what January is all around, isn't it? Uh, personal reflections, new goals, etc. Um, and, I mean, certainly in 2018, I don't think there was a day, maybe even including a couple of Saturdays and Sundays, um, where we didn't write about plastics in some way or form, whether it's for an article... Um, a report or even just a part of a podcast episode. It was the emblematic issue of CSR in 2018. Um, and we've covered a lot about how corporates have changed, but I suppose it'd be quite nice to see whether any of the ED team has any, has had their views changed around plastics or maybe even some of their habits as well. So, so George, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this on you to, to go first and, and kind of... Um, bear all on, on how on how the plastics debate has perhaps changed some of your thoughts or actions? It's like an AA meeting. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you, you go to the guy, he's sitting here with his uh, plastic <laughs> bottle by his side. Um, I mean, I have changed uh, in, in my habits, I would say. Um, I mean, this plastic bottle, it's not, it's not great to have it, but I mean, it's been by my side since the start of the year. Yep. Give it a year, maybe a year or so ago, I would have just thrown away, you know, you get your bottles in a meal deal, mm. uh, not even thought twice about it. So that kind of aspect, I would say, yeah, there has been some good changes. I, what I want to see now from myself and from other people kind of challenge that I'll throw out there is, I think we're all quite sustainable at home. Workplace is a different issue, I mm. think. Um, you know, you've got your, your desk bin next to you. I don't... I don't uh, think twice about what goes in there. I'm not going to like segregate anything. I'll go. You go to places like McDonald's and you see no one's like putting the plastics in the plastics tray and the um, stuff in the other tray. So I mean, can we be more sustainable in the office? I'll put that out to you guys. I don't know if you had any mm. opinions on that. Maybe that's uh, maybe that's going up on the on the pledge wall. Who knows? Mm. We can see if we can come up with a target. Here's something I've seen. I've seen people put the milk bottles in the office in the non-plastics bin and mm. they sort of cried a little bit internally. Um, but what I'll say is not so much since the start of the, the sort of growing plastic awareness, but since I started this job, um, my friends and family members have all been giving me like reusable bottles and reusable mm. cups because they think that I'm some kind of sustainability Guru. Yeah. Um, so I am definitely refilling a lot more. I've been using a refillable bottle since day dot, trying to save money at uni. It saves you so much money on water, which is free if you get it out of the tap in your halls. Um, but coffee cups are definitely cut down on massively um, recently. I mean, the, the discounts that you get in some of these retailers mm. definitely help. And I think that is probably what's driving most of this reuse at the moment. Yeah, I I think with the it's quite interesting with the coffee shops. Like I I, I don't use disposable cups as much as I used to, mm. 
uh, I'd be more inclined to actually stay and sit in a coffee shop and actually enjoy my drink rather than rushing around. Yeah, I can't remember the last time I've actually... I think that's probably the habit I've changed the most is I don't buy a coffee and leave the shop. Mm. It's either I've got like 15 minutes Mm. before I need to be somewhere. So, yeah, I'll go and sit in and have a coffee. Um... Although yeah, it's interesting you mentioned your like your family buying you um, stuff. I think I think. Have you had the same? No, I've been doing. <laughs> I've been doing the opposite. I've been giving them stuff because there was there was a period um, probably like early last year where no matter what event I went to, I was just being inundated with uh, reusable cups to the point where I probably had a like a collection of about like at least a dozen I'm not I don't think I'm overselling that at all I probably had about 12 different plastic uh, uh, reusable cups so I was just giving them out left right and and uh and center to the point where I don't want to see another reusable cup I've got the one that I um I use um and anymore I'll just pass on um and I think there was a point last year as well I I can't remember the company it might have been Britta um sent me a box of like um plastic alternatives so, um, and they, they sent some really nice stuff, like a lunchbox made from like bamboo, uh, which is quite nice. Straws made from pasta, which didn't quite work out for me. <laughs> um, I tried them, but they just went a bit soggy after a while. But I was probably doing something wrong with them, mm. you know, leaving them in the water for too long. Um, and at that point, I was like, yes, you know what? I'm going to get really into this. I'm going to like be, you know, I'm going to become plastic free at least as much as I can be. And I would describe my efforts. And that probably happened around October last year. Mm. I would describe my efforts to become plastic free as like pathetic, um, mm. absolutely pathetic. Today, I went to, I went to, um, went to a supermarket to lunch, bought a 5p plastic bag because I bought about six items that I um, I didn't want to carry mm. and of those six items there was like a crisp packet there was a sandwich um, there was like a, a loose bag for like loose veg as well and I was like oh, this is not good at all mm. so I, I perhaps need a little bit of um, motivation in that area but I think personally one of the things that I've noticed most about this is other people just able to talk about it yeah i i can I, I could go to the pub or meet up with friends after work and they'd be like oh you know what did you get up to today and a couple of years ago i might have been like oh i um went to look at some solar panels on like a uni roof or i went to this like waste treatment facility and that would be the end of that conversation mm. now it's like oh um yeah i went to check out um how canary wharf Creek, for example um and a load of retailers are eliminating plastics and that conversation lasts for about half an hour to an hour sometimes mm. it's really engaged people that aren't engaged with which is um, quite refreshing. But yeah, at a personal level, I um, I definitely need to do more. Uh, I admire your honesty. <laughs> yeah, I've, <laughs> I've given it to the, the world to see. I'll che- don't check back in me about two months because it will probably be the same. But um, yeah, certainly uh, certainly something I want to get better at as well. So, you know, and, you know, if anyone's listening, have any freebies that will have that with, I'm, I'm not open to bribe. I'm open to bribery is what I'm trying to say. So do send them across. And yeah, on the subject of um, retailers, making it harder I suppose to to just buy a load of stuff in plastic I was in London um, last week to speak to one of the I'd call the real leaders um, in this area I remember when all when this big flurry of plastic announcements came in early 2018 after that that thing had happened um, that program um, one of them was Waitrose and we ran a story basically it was about three or four different companies had made new announcements and and we had a little conversation with Rachel's and like, no, this isn't a new announcement. We just essentially they've had to re-clarify and recommit mm. because they they launched it um, a couple of years prior. 
but it'd become such a big issue they thought it was worth sending a press release out and like yeah this is what we're doing by the way which I thought was quite interesting mm. and so yeah I went into um, the John Lewis partner's office just outside Victoria I think it was spoke to um, Tor Harris who is their head of um, health and CSR uh, just around you know what's changed over the last probably like 18 months to two years you know in terms of consumer issues consumer questions mm. and just internally um across the the business and as as you'll see from this interview there they've taken some great leaps in terms of internal behavior change um trialing very innovative solutions and um that, that buzzword that always appears around plastic which is collaboration like um willing to work with others uh, to really drive change um and there's some real interesting soundbites, certainly towards the end of this interview as well. Um, Tori is certainly of the belief that she doesn't think anything, um, not for the near future at least, will capture the attention quite like the plastics issue has. So I hope you enjoy this um, interview. It's it's only around 10 to 15 minutes long, but honestly, it, it could have been up to like half an hour, 40 mm. minutes, because there's so much to talk about. But here is that interview with uh, Tor Harris from Waitrose in full. Okay, so our plastic-focused podcast has taken me to central London uh, to the, I believe the building title is the Journalist Partnership House, um, to discuss plastics with um, another company that is in that awkward position of having to replace single-use plastics um, alongside this kind of rampant consumer demand for, for change. So I have been kindly invited into the house um, by Waitrose's Head of CSR Agriculture and Health, Tor Harris. So Tor, thank you very much for um, welcoming in and letting me in from the cold. My pleasure. Um, and so, yeah, as, as our listeners already know, this podcast is all kind of dedicated to um, companies and organisations that are really championing the plastics um, pollution problem, so to speak. Waitrose um, has been a company that I would say was a little bit ahead of its time in the sense that it had some quite overarching long-term goals in place long before this um, single-use plastics issue became a debate. I, I specifically remember um, receiving a press release um, from Waitrose and then having to double check that it was a new target or existing one and the conversation was these are existing targets but people want to know so we're kind of almost resurfacing them so this has um, been something that you've been working on for quite a long time did you ever um, imagine it would get to this kind of scale and scope in terms of consumer focus? I think I mean you're right it's something we focused on for for a number of years so we've We've reduced the amount of packaging we use by 50% um, since 2009. So obviously it's a journey we've been on for a long time. Um, I think we always anticipated that consumers would um, increasingly care about these issues. I don't think we probably anticipated the speed with which that would happen. Um, and everybody's you know, talked at length about the Blue Planet effect, but we really did see this incredible surge in, in customer opinion around it. Um, and we had... Um, reviewed for example some of the, the customer queries that, that we get through on a kind of regular basis and those increased around plastics and packaging by 800% last year. So it's been um, I guess in a, a surprising acceleration in terms of the interest. That's a crazy number 800% um, and yeah it, it shows the uh, the attention that's been focused on, on this issue. So how, how have you gone around um, you know implementing and these aren't I mean these aren't just you know, easy, easy switch out. Some, you know, reducing it can be done 
relatively quickly, but a lot of them are long-term solutions that involve complex supply chains and probably, you know, contracts as well. Mm. So how do you how do you kind of balance the um the understanding that your consumers want change now with the with the realization that these changes are going to take a long time? How how do you, do you relay that to concerned consumers? Mm. It's it's quite a difficult thing actually. <laughs> it's one of the biggest challenges I think we faced with this where the level of understanding amongst the general public around some of the complexities around alternatives and making sure that if you're switching plastic for something else, that something else is genuinely better for the environment um, is, is quite a difficult thing to do. But I guess what we've been really focused on is making sure that whatever changes we make, they are absolutely the right thing environmentally. So we haven't, um, we haven't done anything, I guess, where we have... Uh, made a change purely for the kind of customer perception point of view if okay. we don't believe it's the right thing for the environment. Um, and I think we've been really concerned to make sure that we look at a proper kind of life cycle analysis when we're thinking about alternative packaging materials. Um, so if you look at some of the kind of biodegradable options that there are out there, you know, we're being very specific about um, not wanting biodegradable, um, but looking for the higher standards of home compostable materials. Um, but yeah, the, the, the comms to customers is, is a big, big challenge. And not just the comms, but I suppose there's a whole new educational um, aspect to it as well in terms of, I mean, you mentioned the, you're trying to steer away from some aspects of um, biodegradable. We've had conversations with sustainability professionals in the past and they've kind of said that biodegradable is almost uh, a subconscious um, message to, to litter in a sense that, oh, I can chuck this, mm. I can chuck this away, doesn't matter where, and it will mm. it will disappear, um, whether that breaks up into tiny bits of microplastic yeah. or just stays there for a, a couple of years before it actually does mm. biodegrade. So consumers perhaps found, um, you know, especially in regards to food labels, confusing enough as it is with the, the traffic light system, the calories, there's so much information on it. So how, how are you going to, um, I suppose, educate or at least um, steer consumers towards the right habits post, um, post-consumer once they once they've need to dispose of that packaging? Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, you, you'll be aware that the industry's put a huge amount of effort into trying to make... Um, labelling around how to dispose of packaging consistent um, and we're big supporters of the OPRL um, system. The big challenge is the waste infrastructure that we've got to deal with across the country and the fact that it is so inconsistent so um, it means that trying to uh, to get that consistent message out to, to consumers when you're a national retailer is, is quite challenging. Um, I think uh, one of the really interesting areas around around this, and it's interesting the point you make about home compostable encouraging customers to just to, to litter mm. and throw away. I think the really interesting aspect of the strategy that we're adopting is looking at the reusable side of it um, and how you actually encourage customers to essentially change change their shopping habits quite fundamentally. Um, so if you look at some of the stuff we've done in terms of taking single-use coffee cups out um, and uh, there's more that we're looking to, to trial around reusables, getting customers to bring um, their own containers to the counter, that, that kind of thing. I think, I think that's the area where we've got a real opportunity to actually change customer behaviour um, and remove the need for some of those alternative materials um, at all. Yeah, definitely. Reduction and reuse seem to be the two kind of 
things that should be high up on the hierarchy in terms of the circular economy. And um, yeah, I suppose we probably should touch on stuff that Waitrose and partners have, have done um, for those listening that perhaps um, are unaware. So some of the kind of headline um, announcements that I have got in front of me, stop selling packs of plastic straws at all supermarkets. That was announced last summer and implemented by September mm-hmm. 2018. Um, all plastic straws in cafes have been converted to paper variants as well. Um, also, no, obviously, the single-use bags, but that's also now in place in the fruit and vegetable aisles, mm-hmm. um, replaced with 5 p carry bags from stores. Apparently, and I hope my um, I hope my source is right on this. Took it from ED, so it should be. Um, <laughs> cut will cut um, Waitrose is plastic usage by one hundred and thirty million bags each year, which is quite a significant number. Yeah. Um, and then produce plastic produce bags, replaced with those home compostable alternatives, um, and you're trying them later this year. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All own label products in ranges will also be glitter free um, by Christmas 2020, which is mm. glitter is a real area that's not quite perhaps got the, the attention of the public yet, but is quite a big one. And I think finally as well, you're also, or you trialled um, fibre-based packaging across select range of um, ready mills uh, in order to overcome problematic pl- plastics. So that's a huge array of um, solutions and trials that you're already putting in place. Um, I imagine stuff like just stop selling the plastic straws and switching to the paper variants. That was the stuff we saw a lot kind of early last year. That's mm. a, perhaps a first step. Yeah. Are there any of them that you kind of look at and are really proud of because of how much hard work it's gone to find a viable solution? I think um, the, the one I call out there, and you mentioned it actually, is um, some of the ready meal packaging. Mm. So we prioritise taking black plastic out as one of the kind of first things in meeting our um, our targets um, because of the issues around it being um, detected in, in recycling. Um, and essentially black has only been there from an aesthetic point of view. It doesn't provide any additional functional benefit, right. um, except in flower pots, which is a whole other story <laughs> okay. to work through. Um, uh, yeah, flower pots, roots don't like to see the light. Um, right. so, uh, so, so we took the decision that, that we should move to um, away from black. Now, some of the challenges that we've that we've had with that are in ready meals because the packaging there needs to be what we would call dual ovenable. So it needs to be able to go in um, in the in the oven and also in the microwave. And also, ready meals by nature of what they are, there's a lot of kind of you know they're quite a liquid sort of product. Mm. So um, so moving away from plastic was was quite difficult. Um, and the packaging team tried a whole load of different options to actually get to the solution that we trialled last year. Um, I'm delighted to say that that's that's gone well. So we will be looking to to roll that out. Brilliant. Um, which is which is fantastic. But going back to some of the points we were talking about earlier, one of the interesting um, things we saw through the trial um, was we've kind of educated customers to see black plastic or black as a kind of indicator of a premium product. Um, and we had feedback from customers saying, you know, these the, the new kind of fibre trays they don't they don't look as premium and they're yeah. not as appealing. So we've got a real interesting challenge there about how we make sure that we educate customers about why we've made that change and the fact that that's a really positive thing. Interesting, interesting, and um, yeah, certainly on the customer side as well. Um, there is that, that educational piece that, as you just mentioned, but I suppose at the other end of the of the life cycle of these packaging. Obviously, these are fibre-based. Um, I know they're like 100% FSC um, certified. Yeah, um, how, how have you gone around ensuring, though, that... and Or 
how uh, how can businesses in general go around ensuring that any kind of fiber or bio-based um, alternatives they put in isn't perhaps um, accounting for a for a crop or that could be used for food. Bear in mind, we've got a kind of growing population to feed. It's becoming one of the big yeah. kind of stress tests for the for the global population. Definitely, I think I think that's a really really challenging area. I think. Um, you know, you, you can go so far as making sure that the materials that you're using are from certified sources. Um, but in terms of that kind of broader, I guess, global, you know, global agricultural system and the extent to which we start to skew production away from um, from food to growing products for, for packaging, um, it's a much kind of bigger question, I guess. Um, I mean, at the moment, we're focused on using... Um, certified sources like in, in that ready meal example mm-hmm. so um so so that's where that comes from the other thing that we're looking at i think is really exciting is around how you use waste products to to take into packaging okay. so one of the other um innovations that we launched last year um and are looking to, to scale up is that we created a punnet for tomatoes that's actually made out of the waste leaves and vines of the tomato plants themselves okay. so at the moment those are you, 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 those are essentially wasted. It's a byproduct of mm. growing tomatoes, um, and with our with our supplier, we managed to come up with this um, this punnet that uses uses those, and it uses some other recycled cardboard as well. Um, and so through doing that, feels like the real sweet spot for us is where you can actually get um, a waste product and turn that into something um, you know that, that's more useful. It's interesting that the the yeah, the, the plastics focus has also perhaps opened not necessarily waitress but open eyes with some suppliers that um other waste streams have a have a value definitely definitely we've got another product actually which is um we've got some pasta that's made with lentils yeah I, I think i remember seeing them yeah yeah and the the some of the inevitably in that processing um, mm. you end up with some waste peas waste lentils and we've incorporated those into the boxes that that, that the pasta sold in so we're, we're doing lots more um kind of research and trialing and innovation in that area and i'm glad you mentioned the trial and stuff because yeah you're, you're kind of trying across select stores and um as a kind of company that operates more than 350 across the uk there must be a, a real temptation just to put them out all the stores in front of as many customers as you can so they're aware what happens mm. but i'm guessing that can't be done because of the uk's kind of waste collection recycling infrastructure it's different region to region is that has that kind of slowed down progress a bit um i think it's I, I guess it just makes it more restrictive in terms of the kind of materials that that would that would fall into what what we define as widely recycled, basically. So it gives us a smaller um, a smaller number of, of things that we can use there. Um, I mean, in terms of of trialing, we wouldn't want to trial we wouldn't trial anything that we didn't think had a mm-hmm. uh, had the potential to be rolled out basically across across all of our shops. Um, so we would tend to select the branches that we do that in just on the basis of getting the right kind of spread of demographics, spread of different kinds of store formats. Um, so, uh, yeah, we, we, we'd only want to be testing things that we know have got a future at scale. That's good to hear. And in terms of your own brand product mm-hmm. packaging, which is obviously what most of the trials and innovations are on, 70% is of the plastic in any way is currently widely recyclable you've obviously got the 100% target for 2023 are there, are there just some items and, and some uh, packaging aspects that just that at the moment you look at and think we, there's no there's no solutions that's close yet are any just really problematic yeah. packaging yeah there are some so the ones the ones that I think are giving our packaging team the biggest headache at the moment are um, 
some of the uh, bottles for, for, for soap, soap dispensers, that, that, that kind of thing, where mm-hmm. you've got plastic in, uh, metal spring encased as, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the moment we've changed the plastic so that that's widely recyclable. Um, but because of the kind of composite nature of that with the metal, that's an issue at the moment. So mm. that's something that we're working on. And then the other is around kind of complex laminates. So the kind of things that you would have in um, kind of pouches and, and that kind of thing. Um, so I think those are those are the most are the most tricky ones. Um, but but we're working on it. Okay, good to hear. And I just want to go back to the to the kind of consumer focus, but the the eight hundred percent figures really standing out. It mm. just blows my mind. Um, so what are what are the most common kind of queries and questions that Waitrose is getting from its consumers about plastics? Oh, good question. Um, they they've changed over time actually. Okay. So um, so. You know, I noticed through my and my team's inbox, you know, what we're talking about. And at a particular time, it was all about avocado packaging. <laughs> um, and uh, with our perfectly ripe ad- avocados, they had a kind of plastic, um, uh, it's kind of protection, basically, because mm. because they're right ripe product. But we seem to have fixed that. And I've got a cardboard alternative. So okay, yeah, yeah. So as we kind of move through and progress with the strategy, that the queries kind of change. I think um, it's, there's a lot of interest in, plastic packaging on fruit and veg in particular I think um, and I'm not sure why that is I guess it's because that's where customers really feel that it, it is kind of unnecessary mm. um, the thing that we've got to understand in tackling that is the impact on food waste yeah definitely um, and actually we're going to do some trials um, shortly looking looking into that basically and, and how um, how we can get that kind of balance right um, so, so definitely fruit and veg um interestingly th- things like um some of the more the the products that we've now taken action on so straws things like plastic cutlery that that kind of thing um but i think the the overriding thing is around fruit fruit and veg um which i find quite interesting because we do have a significant loose offering of fruit and veg as well if <laughs> yeah. if customers want to choose that so yeah, I want to talk briefly about collaboration. Um, we've seen a few examples of the supermarkets coming together, either through kind of the UK Plastics Pact or just through their own trials on stuff like black plastics. How um, how has how has plastics changed the type of conversations you perhaps have with other CSR managers at, mm. at companies you perhaps view as rivals? Mm. I think. Um Collaboration in this area, and and I mean I mean more broadly around all the kind of ethical mm. and sustainability issues, is is really really important because we're all we're all looking for for the right solutions to some of these things, and and we have to kind of pull that that collective resource to to help find them. Um, I think we've always been very clear that there are some things that we we do want to be first to market on in terms of some of the alternatives that we're investing in and innovating on, but we're really happy to share the results of those mm. with, with the wider industry and we, and we do through the different forums that, that we're involved in so um, I think you know it's it's a massive challenge and it's really essential that that we all support each other and I think that you know that that goes back a long way on this issue as well so you know I went back to how we've been working on this for, for years and the kind of reductions that, that we've seen um, that's all been part of the kind of call toll process mm. um, and that's been really, really helpful to us achieving those kind of gains over the over the last sort of ten years or so. Do you think there's? Um, I mean, I've always viewed it, and I've, I've, I think I've viewed sustainability in general as pre-competitive. Mm-hmm. But do you think, in with an issue that is so um, 
prominent amongst consumers that this is actually starting to become um, almost a perhaps not a selling point but certainly a way um, in terms of customer um, loyalty and customer belief in the company you mentioned mm. that you're quite keen to lead on some of your own trials which mm. is completely understandable is that a selling point that you've got that all of a sudden your housing your products in like mm. um, non-plastic packaging I think I think it is to be honest I think you know I think it's a uh, as part of our our brand as a retailer, you know, customers have a really high level of expectation of the way in which we address these issues mm. and, and expect us to be on the front foot. And actually, going back to your question around the kind of customer queries that, that we get, most of them start with, I would expect Waitrose <laughs> to be leading on this, you know. So um, so because that is so core to, to, to our brand and to why customers choose to shop with us, um, you know that definitely is an important selling point. That doesn't mean that we don't want to collaborate yeah, on, on the solutions because um, you know that that helps us as much as it helps um, our other competitors as well. Okay, great stuff. I appreciate that I've taken up a fair bit of your time um, in early January when there's so much work to be getting on with. So I will <laughs> no, I will wrap up. We'll wrap up this conversation with just one last question, um, and it's just I suppose I, I look ahead. Um, we did a we did a little poll on our site amongst our readers about what they think the kind of uh, area amongst sustainability to have its next kind of plastics moment. Um, area. I'd be in, I'm interested to get your views as a as a kind of sustainability leader. Um, do you still see plastics being the kind of zeitgeist for 2019 um, or do you see any other areas of CSR um, and sustainability about to kind of have their moment in the mm. not in the sun because it's a terrible thing when it gets highlighted but a moment that will drive real action in that area I don't think I don't think we're going to see anything on the same scale as what we saw last year on on plastics and I don't think that that level of interest in plastics is showing any signs of going away so I think that's going to stay there I think the one thing that um, that does seem to be kind of coming up the track quite fast is the whole debate around um, uh, meat, meat consumption from a sustainability point yeah. of view, ethical point of view and um, and that opens up a whole whole load of different kind of debates and things around around agriculture and growing food basically so I think I think we're going to see much much more debate around that going into going into this year um, which will be interesting. Yeah, we've certainly seen a lot of it. Um, I suppose vegan annual or vegan annual. Vegan vegan yeah. um, has certainly helped rise it. And um, Greg's and Piers Morgan's Twitter spat as well has yeah. certainly created attention. But yeah, it's um, it seems like a real area where, in terms of overall climate goals, can have such a huge impact. So I'm surprised it's taken mm. this long to. Mm. I suppose it's one of those inconvenient truths that people don't really want to acknowledge that um, those kind of levels of consumption are part, as part of a diet mm. don't really align with global needs absolutely and i think just just like the plastics debate it it's less straightforward than it mm. than it looks you know you look at the kind of the the interplay between the sustainability side of it the health side of it um uh welfare of animals that kind of thing it's a it's quite a complex issue definitely although it's very weird to think that where we could be in a couple of years time like i could yeah. be buying um kind of insect burger from Waitrose housed in <laughs> yeah. uh, paper paper packaging but we'll wait and see um Tor, <laughs> thank you so much for your um for your time today um it's been great talking with you and I'm sure we'll um we'll hear from you throughout the rest of the year in Waitrose I look forward to hearing some of the uh, um results and expansions of potential trials as well but thank you for your time no, you're very welcome thank you so there you go, a really interesting chat with uh, Tor there about what Waitrose is up to, especially like the target to um, try and eliminate a lot of their glitter um, mm. from their products as well. Yeah, we talked about micro 
plastics and fibers that's an area that hasn't picked up as much traction yet i think there's a few glitter brands that have are doing stuff around either biodegradable or essentially um, sustainable glitter but mm. i've yet to see many um retailers or brands that, that house those type of products come out and make their own commitments for that which not is good really, to see yeah, yeah it's not really an item you would consider is no like, yeah exactly producer, but having said that i'm actually fully on board with this because i remember I went to my sister's wedding last year and she had a little glitter stool and someone thought it'd be funny to chuck it all over my face. <laughs> I, I remember six months later, I was still trying to get glitter out of my hair. So I, I do dislike glitter immensely. So I'm all on board with it being banned. There you go. We've got the, we've got the new face of the anti-glitter campaign uh, sitting in this very studio, which is brilliant. I was just going to say how bad festivals and Christmas are for, mm. for the planet. But when it's in your face, I suppose it's, then it gets personal. <laughs> There you go, we're, uh, we're, we're going all in against festivals. No fun for anyone is, is, is the message of this podcast. So, uh, so that's it for part two of this podcast. We'll be back for the probably the final part of this um, plastics-themed episode where we are talking to another um, leader in this area, which is Ian Ferguson from The Cup. So we'll see you shortly. Welcome back to the final part of our plastic special podcast episode. Um, as you mentioned before the break, we do have one more interview lined up um, with another person who just seems to have an absolute kind of well of knowledge on this issue. Um, but before that, I thought you'd like to hear from people that don't have so much knowledge of this issue in terms of myself, Sarah, and George. Um, I'm, I'm being a bit disingenuous actually. We probably are very close. We're probably closer to this than we give ourselves credit for. Um, but as is probably a semi-regular feature on this podcast, we always tend to talk about the innovations of the of the week, etc. Um, Sarah, that's usually something you focus on. But I thought, with it being plastics themed, it'd be good for all of us to just essentially pick our our favourite plastic innovation we've seen so far. It doesn't have to be of this week. It doesn't even have to be a product. It can be a system in place. Um, but I'd like uh, all three of us to essentially share. Um, a, a product solution, a concept that they've seen that they think um, will really help or already has helped shape the agenda. So, Sarah, this is usually your, your feature, so I think it's only fair that you go first. Yeah, so I've been doing our Innovations of the Week roundup for 10 months now, I think it is, and of the plastics innovations that we get in, some of them are some of them are not particularly innovative to do with, with making plastics into fuels or it's a great product but it can't be recycled in current infrastructure um, but a standout that I've seen is potato plastic which does what it says on the tin um, really so one of the big arguments against biodegradable plastics or bio-based plastics is that is it really sustainable to be using land that we could be using for crops which could be used to feed ourselves or animals to make plastics um, so to overcome this issue, a team of students at Lund University, which is in Sweden, have invented this potato plastic, which is made of food waste um, from, from the catering industry. Um, it's already received a lot of backing, so it won the James Dyson Award last year. Um, and these guys are already having um, waste potato um, peeling supplied to them by IKEA and by McCain. Um, so this looks like something that is scalable and does have that buy-in from the corporate side of things as well. 
Um, okay, George, what about yours? Um, yeah, mine's, I'd say it's more as an organisation uh, than a concept or anything like that. But um, it's around um, changing behaviours with consumers. I mean, you mentioned earlier in the episode how it's difficult for you sometimes to get motivated to, you know, live a plastic-free yeah. lifestyle. Um, so and I'm sure we all suffer with that, that kind of th- um, thing. So I always like to see new creative ways of getting people on board to change their habits. Um, and that's exactly what's been done by an organisation called We Are The Oceans. I think you're quite... Um, yes, quite yeah, aware I am actually, yeah. So yeah, they're the, uh, like a, a, a kind of social change organisation, I suppose you'd call them. And what they're doing is educating um, the general public through various platforms, whether it be uh, music, gaming, technology. Um, and I suppose what it's trying to do is access younger people, millennials, uh, on their terms to tackle uh, ocean sustainability issues. Um, so I think the organisation was launched by 23-year-olds, so it was quite incredible. He's, I think um, he first came up with the idea when he went on a UN trip to Granada and saw the link between plastic oceans and, you know, human civilization. Um, so yeah, as I said, he's used a wide range of platforms. I think I saw uh, in an article, I believe that you wrote, he got on board uh, musicians like Joss Stone. I mean, yeah, not, yeah, not yeah. my particular favorite. I think I probably would switch off if I heard anything from her. <laughs> but, um, yeah, she was, I think she was covering a song, the Band-Aid song about Feed the World and t- t- turn it into like a plastic So we go, Glit- Glitter Festivals and Joss Stone. <laughs> if that ever happens to come together, we're, we're not going is basically what we've said. Yeah, I'll refund my ticket on the spot. <laughs> um, yeah, and the other stuff like apps. Uh, so I think you're like single person, single yeah. first person uh, user. You go through navigating your way plastic-free oceans and you learn this stuff on the spot. So it's just really cool way of kind of using technology to engage like people like ourselves millennials and mine is um it's it's nothing massively innovative but it's it's got a real selling point and and as you mentioned earlier with plastic it's got that visual aspect which has made people stand up and take notice and that's just the fact that in 2017 um so before a lot of this was really taken off adidas um they sold one million pairs of trainers that were um, made from 95% ocean plastics. So um, we've seen a lot of companies, whether that's Interface, um, the carpet manufacturers, whether it's uh, Corona, owned by AB InBev, um, doing a lot of kind of stuff around taking plastic waste from the oceans and giving that a second life. HP do it with their ink cartridges, collect a load of plastic bottles from Haiti, for example. Um, but Adidas um, were a big innovator in this area, worked with Parley for the Oceans, um, which is a, a kind of non-profit that's really driving this. I think they've now worked with um, the likes of Stella McCartney as well. But um, the, um, yeah, they in 2017, more than a million pairs of those trainers sold. I looked at buying a pair, I think they're way above a journalist's uh, pay grade, <laughs> I'll say that much. So. Um, it's uh, it's definitely um, definitely a niche demand in terms of you got to have the money for it, mm. but um, they essentially cleaned uh, they essentially did a load of clean up operations with Parley um, across um, the Maldives and kind of one thousand coral islands um, off the coast of India, and um, have now turned that into a product which is um, sellable and I imagine it's probably engaged consumers as well because it's it's a talking point isn't it it's like mm. oh. Where'd you get those, especially when they first launched, where you get those new trainers, there's a story behind it. It's not mm-hmm. just a, 
not just a product anymore. It's um, it's that it's a kind of living embodiment of brand purpose, which um, is again another issue that's becoming really prominent amongst businesses as well. There you go. We've um, we've we've kind of delved into the future a little bit there. I look at what um, I look at what the future consumer will be like. They'll be on their mobile playing little um, educational games around ocean plastics. They'll be wearing their their trainers. Um, and they will be chucking their crisp packets and, and wrappers and whatnot into um, compostable bins. At least we hope. Mm. Uh, so I think that, I mean, it doesn't really bring us nicely on. There's no way I can really segue seamlessly, but it does bring us on just in terms of time constraints to the final interview um, of this episode. And as I've, as I've hinted throughout, it's with someone who um, I don't think I've spoken to someone with more knowledge around this kind of in issue than Ian Ferguson from the co-op. I've spoken to him like three or four times and, and every time there's just a, a little nugget of information that he kind of um, drops or a little insight that I just haven't heard about this conversation before. It's quite easy to talk plastics with retailers and and um, supply chains and just consumers and have that same conversation over and over again. Every time I've spoken to um, Ian, he... Um, there's always something new to say. So what we're going to do now is, hopefully, if it all goes right, we're going to dial. Um, we're going to dial into a little conference call, and we're going to have a chat with um, Ian um, and George. I believe you've been liaising with um, Co-op to allow us to get some more wise words from from Ian. Yes, um, we've got Ian on the line now. So um, Ian, uh, good to have you here. Happy uh, Happy New Year. Um, have you had a good start to 2019? Made any uh, New Year's resolutions? And more importantly, if so, have you managed to stick to them? Uh, <laughs> somebody with as, um, as, as dedicated as me doesn't, make new, doesn't need to make New Year resolutions. Um, I'm sticking to the old ones, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I think I'll, I'll take that approach myself. Um, yeah, so it's good to, uh, good to have you on the line. Um, it's nice to be here. Yeah, excellent. Uh, so it's start start twenty nineteen. Big focus for us and our readers right now. Plastics. Obviously, we've got the launch of this plastics hub. Um, one of uh, one of our pledges, if you like, our our co op who have um, uh, welcomely made a commitment to make one hundred percent of its product packaging fully recyclable by twenty twenty three. So I suppose that's the best place to start with this conversation. Really, now you've made really good progress in this area so far, and I think. Right, and saying about um, three out of four of Carp's products are already widely recyclable. Um, interested to know what you know. What's it going to take to get you to to a hundred percent by twenty twenty three? I mean, is the innovation out there to help you? There is innovation going on out there on um, some of the more intractable tray problems. Um, but the big issues we've got to face is what we do about laminated film packaging. Um, we need. Uh, we need solutions beyond what we can probably deliver because we need to find uh, ways to collect and process that or indeed we need uh, acceptance for a compostable version of that by, by local authorities if that's at all possible. There are innovations going on with um, people like uh, Recycling Technologies and Manchester University have got some work going on looking at uh, finding ways to chemically recycle materials. That's breaking them back down into the, the components and making them suitable for rebuilding back into new materials. Very exciting stuff. 
Oh yeah, and it's Sarah over here, Ian. I just wanted to ask as well, with that with that progression in recycling technologies, we've seen it a lot um, in regards to schemes such as with the Walker's Crisp packets or with the new tech that's been developed for black plastics. Um, but these are all things that Co-op has said that it will find a second purpose um, for. So what progress has there been made with these sort of notoriously hard-to-abate materials? Um, the, pro the work on crisp packets goes on um, as normal. The, the problem with, I mean, what walkers have done is, is a really nice approach, but it's not really mainstream. And we need to make the solutions mainstream. So we need it to be um, a solution that can be collected at curbside and recycled from curbside. Mm. Now, that might mean that local authorities need to consider um, putting in recycled technologies. Uh, technology, um, and I believe Swindon are looking at that very seriously as our Firth and Kinross. And off the back of that, I also wanted to ask about the carrier bags because we covered a couple of months ago about the switch to um, compostable alternatives. Um, yes. Yeah. So, how are you overcoming these the waste management concerns with that sort of? switch over because obviously they're not able to be recycled alongside regular plastics. No, the, the compostable carrier bags are designed specifically to be used in food waste collections uh, and we have targeted the introduction to where the local authority accepts them and many local authorities where we've targeted actually encourage their residents to use compostable carrier bags for their food waste collections. Uh, the bags are clearly marked to say do not recycle and they're clearly marked to tell customers that they are for food waste collections. So it, it's a joined up bit of thinking that we worked on uh, with the help of people like Oldham Council. Hi, and it's, uh, it's Matt here. I just want to build on that question, actually, because um, it, it sounds like um, a lot of collaborations going on with perhaps some different, um, some different uh, bodies than perhaps what you traditionally work with, especially around local authorities. So how, what kind of messages are you sending to the local authorities where these type of systems aren't um, being able to be rolled out because of uh, infrastructure issues or, or collection issues? Um, well, the, the collection systems are likely to be rolled out because they're in the DEFRA Waste and Resources Strategy. Um, there's been an announcement that there will be universal food waste collection across England uh, there is already a universal food waste collection across Wales uh, and for most of Scotland and for Northern Ireland, so England's lagging behind on this. What we're able to offer with our compostable carrier bags is a low cost, uh, a lower cost, uh, with addressing residents, uh, giving residents compostable carry liners. So we're happy to help local authorities. And, and just building on that, that collaboration um, aspect, it's obviously highlighted as such an important thing in regards to sustainability and overcoming these, these kind of, um, not just sector-wide, but global challenges. Um, we had a discussion, yeah. I believe, uh, during the launch of Co-op's latest um, sustainability report about um, the kind of why, the reason why um, Co-op wasn't currently a member of the UK Plastics Pact. So how, how, um, how conversations gone with other retailers that are facing similar problems, what you know, is are you, are you seeing a lot more of them at industry events and what type of conversations are you having? Um, we tend to see the same faces at industry events. Unfortunately, I wasn't at the Recoup conference this, last year, which uh, is the first in many years that I've missed because I was at the Future Food uh, launch event, which is our uh, 
environmental and sustainability strategy launch. And my colleague Rob Thompson was, um, and he would, have, if he'd been here, I could have asked him who was there. Um, but it, as I say, it's the same old faces and the same old challenges. What we try and do is to engage with everybody in the value chain to decide what we think is the right way to go forward. Um, so when we started our, our approach on packaging recyclability, the first thing we did, the most important thing we did, was to engage with the waste management value chain to understand what their needs were. Once you've done that, it, it's reasonably straightforward to decide what you're going to do. Um, it's hard to deliver what you've got to do, but the decision of what you should do is reasonably straightforward. Uh, hi, Ian, it's, it's George again here. Um, just wanted to wrap up a couple of questions around um, the area of policy. I know you mentioned um, the resources and waste strategy, which launched um, just before Christmas. Um, one of the uh, one of the, the the main elements of that strategy was the um, proposal for a nationwide deposit return scheme. I know that um, COP has actually has backed this concept before. In fact, you know, trialled your own um, reverse vending for plastic bottles at, at UK festivals and that kind of thing. So I mean, given the success of demand, um, uh, sorry, of deposit return schemes in you know Scandinavian countries, elsewhere in Europe, would, would you consider this method a bit of a, a no-brainer for the UK? And you, were you pleased to see it included uh, in the resources and waste strategy? It's absolutely right that it should be included in the waste and disaster strategy, the, but the devil is in the detail of delivery. Um, what we need is an approach where the high street doesn't have every little shop with a deposit return machine or having to return the, the, the packaging back to the shop. We need a, a community approach where uh, transport hubs or uh, high streets or small villages and towns have a communal or one or two communal deposit return machines that serve the community. Um, that, that way we keep the prices down and we, we keep the high street invigorated. Mm. And, and, just, and just finally, um, I, I just wanted to touch upon the fact that I know you've called previously for, you know, like a fiscal system that re rewards recyclability. I mean, we saw uh, some good emerging developments in the resources and waste strategy. We put, pleased with the uh, proposals, you know, to, to make uh, the polluter pay as such? Um, some of the proposals we're absolutely delighted with. The, you know, the, the idea of having a fiscal system that rewards recyclability, uh, penalises hard to recycle materials is great. We're a bit concerned about the idea of a tax on packaging that doesn't contain recycled materials. Um, for a couple of reasons. One is that it would um, promote PET trays at the expense of the very valuable to recycle polypropylene. Um, but the other is that there is no way of proving, as far as we know, that a container contains recycled content. So you, you're onto a paper trail and a paper trail is open to fraud. Um, thank you so much for your time. Um, Ian today and we've we've covered kind of a, a lot of stuff that's that's happened recently um, in terms of your own strategy and also the government's kind of insight into into how um, EPRs and etc will play out um, I, I suppose if we just went back to probably this time um, last year 
how how far has this agenda moved on now that we've got a lot of businesses starting to I suppose see the light and put to place uh, commitments etc we finally got some much needed government involvement how how far along are we on the agenda to solving this plastics issue and, and how optimistic are you looking ahead that, that um, collectively um, we can get this done? I think businesses, some businesses are doing great stuff and moving us along. Um, we're obviously moved our packaging recyclability um, up now beyond 70% by line, nearly three quarters of our packaging is easily recycled. The problem is that it needs the other side of the coin to to be uh, established more firmly. So the consistency of collection that's in the waste and resources strategy needs to be moved at a pace, uh, and the the waste management infrastructure needs to be updated at a pace before we can really solve the problems. Um, it's the it's the tail of the of the curve that is is got to be challenging. And that really needs that piece of work to be completed, or at least started. And um, in terms of uh, in terms of kind of quick wins to get that going, is is there anything that you would note straight away that like as a nation we could do to to really get that that tail starting to curve? Mm. The problem is that it's it's expensive equipment that needs to be installed and uh, changes to collection models. Um, so I don't think quick wins. Uh, are available. I think it needs um, some moves on plastic pots, tubs and trays collection in many areas. There are around 80% of local authorities collect pots, tubs and trays. Um, closing that gap to 100% would make a big difference. Um, but the film recycling still remains a major problem beyond that. Okay, really, really insightful stuff there, and it seems like we're at the point now where um, all these aims and ambitions need to be turned into action, which is exactly what we're trying to do here at ED with the Plastic Sub. Um, Ian, thank you so much uh, for your time today and filled in um, questions from, from all three of us. Uh, I realise that can sound quite daunting as a, as a proposal, but um, it's been a really insightful conversation. I hope you've enjoyed it, and I'm sure we'll be in touch soon uh, to hear more about uh, Co-op and, and their new strategy. So thank you for your time. Very welcome. I love this sort of thing and I like to be able to get the message out there to people. And uh, we're more than happy to, to receive that message as well. So thank you, Ian. Well, they go. Great to speak to Ian, as um, always, and I'm, I'm glad I didn't build him up too highly and he didn't provide any new um, wisdom and insight. He certainly did during that chat. So thank you um, to Ian again for that one. Um, we are pretty much out of time for this uh, episode. I am personally completely plasticed out. Um, it's uh, it's been a it's been a long week. It's been a fun week, um, and hopefully the plastic subs are just the the beginning in terms of us enabling businesses to really drive action on that. On that, I do have one other thing um, to mention, and that's um, Sustainability Leaders Forum. Our big flagship events coming up in around about three or three or four weeks, yeah. I believe, fifth um, and sixth of February. Uh, in London, and over both days, we're going to be running a unique plastics thinkathon, um, which is essentially like a hackathon, but you don't need people that know how to use computers, is what I'm gleaning from it. Um, so, we're not actually going to hack the system or come up with any kind of software solution, but we're essentially bringing a load of people at um, SLF, the mm -hmm. forum, 
into these kind of um, unique spaces to talk amongst themselves and talk with external kind of thought leaders and academics on this and, and come up and essentially think of some solutions to the plastics issue, which I think is going to be quite exciting because mm. um, it's it's all just looking ahead. There's no need to go over the, the issues of the past. It's all just like, right, we, we know what point we're at. Let's just um, get on with that. So if you're if you're down to attend the Sustainability of Leeds Forum uh, or you're interested in attending the forum and want to get involved with the Thinkathon, um, feel free to drop us a, an email um uh, at newsdesk at fav-house.com and I'm sure we can uh, answer any questions you have. So that is, um, that's coming up and I believe we are going to be speaking with one of the facilitators next week for a live interview uh, which will be on the ED website um, and one of the, he is also launching um, his own hackathon the Saturday after the forum as well so he's going to be very busy and very clued up on that. Um, and I suppose before we sign up then it's probably just worth giving a bit of encouragement um, to businesses for the hub? Yeah, um, so the the hub's launch this week is going to be a running campaign, so we're going to be, uh, yeah, it's going to be going through the, throughout the whole year. Obviously, we would actively encourage anyone um, who would like to make a pledge to do so, either maybe in a personal capacity or, um, you know, through, through your business. You could do that through uh, uploading a plastics commitment to the pledge wall, um, I believe, I'm sure the details will be on the article. Yeah, of course, I'll make sure they're included. Um, so, yeah, if you haven't made a pledge, then get thinking, and I look forward to, to seeing them um, in, the, in the upcoming weeks and months. Well, there you go. Um, a good point as any then to close a nice bit of encouragement um, until our next episode. So, um, for now, I suppose it's a goodbye from Sarah. Goodbye. A goodbye from George. Goodbye. Um, a goodbye from Luke somewhere off in the distance. If you listen really quietly, you might be able to hear him. No? Okay, and a goodbye from me. Goodbye. <laughs>